When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we'll be looking back with a small tear in our eye at Fulham's semi-final defeat. Well, it was a draw on the day, but defeat overall to Liverpool in the Carabao Cup at the Cottage. Issa Diop gave us hope, then those 14 minutes felt like 14 seconds as our dreams of Wembley evaporated away and we're left to lick our wounds with an FA Cup adventure against Newcastle to come this weekend. I'm joined on the Thursday Club by Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, Sammy. How are you doing? Good, thank you. We're in a studio today, which is quite nice. It's nice to be in person. We're down the road from the Cottage. Yeah. There's plenty to be happy about, but... Not so much uh, on, on last night's performance. It was a tough one, I think, to take. And I think there was a lot of a lot of hope, a lot of expectation, and ultimately just proved a step too far, I think, that, that Liverpool side. But plenty to be, you know, proud about as well, I think. Yeah, right. What were the best uh, three-word reviews that came in last night? Okay, well, Rick Hardis starts us off, as usual, with cup runneth empty, which I thought was, <laughs> was clever. Uh, Toby Britton with it's a good effort. Uh, Sean Burdett with Little Too Late. Mm. Fulham Mike with Pride and Tested. I did enjoy Fulham fan bases. Mystic Sammy finished. Oh. <laughs> Jason Sinclair said Close Leno Cigar. Jack Taplin, Cottages Carabao Curtailed. Mike Levy with Deflection Disrupts Destiny. But I think my favourite of the lot, this came in from Benjamin AJ DJ, who basically said Diaz Diop the end. Oh, I did see that one. Very good. Very good. I just, I was reading through them a minute ago and that one tickled me for whatever reason. I think it's the fact that D-end is spelled D-I-E-N-D, which which really got me. But yeah, I thought thought that was clever. Oh, so some good gallows humour there after, uh, you know, a disappointing evening. And yes, I am sad. The, uh, The mystic Sammy prediction. I was a goal away. I was a goal away from the ultimate. Two goals away. Okay, yeah. Goal and a penalty shootout. Goal and a penalty shootout away from um, the best call of all time. But uh, it came close. And look, Jack, I think it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because on one hand, Fulham's performance last night was was poor in a lot of respects. I came out of it on, though, on the side of ultimately we were one goal away from taking this to extra time. We lost by the odd goal in five to a very, very good team. And despite the occasion getting to us a little bit, actually, I think the fact that we were resilient, we held on and we gave ourselves a potential platform to win this match. And I know some people might listen to this and say, well, that's loser mentality, but you've got to, you've got to, I feel like, take into consideration how far we've come. Yeah, I think it's it's a, it's two sides. And, and often we say this, right? Two things can be true at the same time. Fulham yesterday, especially in the first half, I thought were poor. But if you go all out and try to open up against a Liverpool side 
they will tear you apart. And as Bournemouth found to their chagrin at the weekend. So you can be like, okay, Fulham's performance wasn't great, but equally the tactical game plan actually vaguely worked. So, I mean, I tweeted last night, I said, we've given a really good side a square go over two legs, over 180 minutes. We defended really well, I thought, over the course of both games, you know, with the occasional laps, but not much to to be upset about. We played it relatively smartly, if not particularly well, in terms of the way that we set out. And we tried to use that counter to our advantage and tried to learn the lessons, I think, of what when we played and lost 4-3 at Anfield to try and make that out. So it's hard to be you know, upset or frustrated with the performance in that I think tactically it was probably spot on. The problem is that it allows you to be put into that position where you end up chasing the game from two goals behind, which we never really looked like we were getting into. And, and that's it. So, two, you know, the things that can be true is that Liverpool were the better side over 180 minutes, and yet it's taken two deflected goals, two, both of which were incredibly unlucky in some respect to actually beat this Fulham side. And and that's something I think you could be proud of, you know, whichever way you look at it. Yeah. Um, when it came to the lineup, there wasn't too many surprises. I think um, the only one where some people might have grumbled was was potentially Harry Wilson um, on the bench rather than Decker Dover-Reed. But when you saw the impact that he's able to make off the bench, Harry Wilson, um, that seems like an okay uh, decision. TC- Bobby's also a top scorer. <laughs> Like, it is worth pointing that out. I I said and have said before that I would start Wilson ahead of Bobby in this fixture, but I can understand why you would go and play your top scorer, especially against a side that he's usually played pretty well against. Yeah, and scored against Anfield in the the league game as well. Wilson, though, to be fair. Yeah, fair point. Um, I thought that actually Fulham started in the first 10 minutes quite well. And I mean, I will, there will be a lot of what ifs. From the from the Liverpool tie, but Jao Polinia's chance actually, when you look at the time, I was like, oh, okay, that's a miss, but you know, not not catastrophic. When you actually looked back on the replay, you were like, oh, he was completely unmarked. And whilst Jao is not a natural goal scorer, I think he'll look back and kick himself because that was actually a real opportunity given how much space he had. Weird if he's on his head, I think he's in. <laughs> it's actually the fact that it falls, you know, to his feet. And yes, obviously he scored that wonder goal in the cup last year against Leeds, but his goal scoring record has mostly come from being in those kind of tight situations and, and trying to make something happen. I think if he heads that ball, Fulham score. Uh, and obviously it, it's a little bit too low for that. And it's, it's a frustrating one, obviously. There's also the the one that gets palmed away early mm-hmm. on from the Robinson cross before Liverpool score, which is probably landing Bobby Deckard over his, you know, feet, Reed's feet. So, Yes, there were these options. I, I think we were nervy. There were moments, and I agree with you. I think, you know, there were the moments where you're like, oh, okay, they are trying to play this counter-attack. They are trying to get in behind Liverpool. And obviously down the left is is where Fulham tried to utilise that most of all. But I felt like it felt like the players were nervy. And the crowd were really lively to begin with. And then obviously died off after the goal. I've never, don't think I've ever heard it that silent. Apart from actually, do you remember, it actually goes all the way back, but the Orlando Saar miss followed by the goal at the other end that knocked us out of the Europa League against Adenza. That's the only other time I can remember the cottage being pin drop silent like that. Well, I think it was the extreme, wasn't it? From just that, it was, I mean, pre-match, I I was really impressed. Like the atmosphere in there. I loved the flags, (laughs) less so the clap. Of course they brought back the bloody clappers. I actually was far keener on the clappers than the flags. Now I don't like clappers, 
But I did think that this was the exact occasion that it would be funny to bring them back. And the club responded in kind and I was delighted. Um, Not necessarily because I think it's a great thing to have at all things, but there's an element. They were there in the Europa League run. There was a little bit of it. I I don't know. A little bit of nostalgia almost with it there. So I I thought that was okay. The flags, I mean, obviously there's been a little bit of (laughs) throwback on social media from the fact that parts of the cottage look like a clan gathering. Um, (laughs) But... Yeah, I mean, when you look at it in the entirety with the black and white together, I thought it looked really nice. It's just slightly, maybe should have slightly made the section smaller. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, maybe, you know, lessons to be learned regarding the layout of the flags. But, you know, we're not here to uh, chastise everything. At least there were the logistics. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the picture, I think the club shared it on their Instagram and it was like a panoramic view where you swiped and it was as the players were walking out. And that view that they got with the fire and the and the the Hammersmith in black and white, the big banners, the noise. I mean, it was something to behold. And, you know, I've got to say fair play for actually, you know, making the fans, allowing the fans an opportunity to really, you know, try and bring something home. Obviously it fell flat pretty quickly, but it it was special. Yeah. I mean, look, I thought the atmosphere was excellent to begin with and then excellent, obviously, as, as the game ramped up and there were moments Obviously, when the, the goal went in, I think it took a t- little bit of time for everyone to recover. But, you know, occasionally you need a spark moment there. And I don't necessarily mean that in a you know a player to actually do something. Weirdly, it's often a big tackle or a foul against Fulham. Mm. And I think you'll remember the Hamburg game, 1-0 down. The, get, the thing that turned the crowd was the challenge on Danny Murphy in the corner. Right in the corner by the corner flag. And it wasn't given as a foul. And the Hammersmith went ballistic. And actually, that was the moment that everyone was like, right, it's actually on. And from that moment, the game completely and utterly started again. Yeah. And I think that was, it kind of, there was a moment that it felt like a big tackle could do that. Polina tried at one point, but I think it didn't quite go to plan because it was at the other end. But Tosin actually oh. cleaning out Darwin felt like a moment you're like, oh, okay, cool. We can rally around that. Sometimes you just need those kind of things. And you could see it coming. It was a great ball. Yeah. An incredible ball. I think it was McAllister around the corner. And I was like, oh God, he's either he's either going to make a huge challenge here or he's off. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no middle ground. <laughs> um, thankfully he got the ball. But yeah, it was, it was, I thought the atmosphere was good for large parts of it. There was obviously a dead moment in the middle, but you can understand that given the situation. Yeah. Um, I thought Fulham did well to rally. Um, the goal that Diaz scored. Yeah. I feel like there's numerous factors here. I think Castagna gets beaten too easily. Yeah. But also, I, I can't work out. My thing is, is that I feel like loathe to criticise Burton because, and, and Drew said it perfectly on the quick take last night. They were like, if, if there's players in this team that have got credit in the bank, then he's the bank's biggest customer. Which, which, is, which is such a fair statement. But I think you can see from Burton's reaction, if he knows he's upset about it, then probably there's justification as to, you know, us saying that he could have done better. It's, it's a frustrating one because I think actually if the shot gets off normally, he's obviously going to his left already to try and deal with what looks like a strike across the goal. It comes off two players and then basically comes off Diaz again <laughs> towards the goal. And he has to switch direction and shift his weight back the other way. I still think there is an element of probably could do better with it. But there's also that element of fortune that's gone against Fulham again. And look, people will say you make your own fortune. And Diaz does really well to get inside, to win the header, to stay on the ball. I don't think Tete loses that one-on-one. I think that's that's a frustrating thing that we look at. And you mentioned the kind of question marks around the lineup, and there wasn't many, as you say. 
that would have been one I would have looked at, especially given that Diaz has been excellent on that side cutting in. That was probably where I would have looked to try and nullify Liverpool one-on-one, especially given that they got joy down that side at Anfield as well. Yes, it was when Darwin came on and things changed a little bit, but there was joy to be had. I wondered if Tete might get the nod there just in terms of that one-on-one ability. But, you know, it's war under bridge and everyone has 2020 vision in hindsight. I think that Burns unlucky. I also think he could do better. Again, both things are true. Yeah, no, it was it was one of those, and it was just the, it really, really was the sucker punch. There was almost a moment where I was saying like, "But hang on, we actually only need we just need to get this to extra time at this point." It was it gone from like a oh we might win this. It's just like we just needed to get one goal, and but Fulham actually it felt like after Liverpool's goal got progressively worse. It was such a body blow. I mean, yeah. it was just relentless. We just couldn't. Get it, out. It felt a bit like also the Chelsea game where we just couldn't get out. And and it was just, they was just swarming us. It felt like there was 13 Liverpool players for much of that first half. Yeah, I mean, look, the Liverpool press is exceptional and has been for some time. Um, the energy and ability of that front three in order to, to get it out. And then actually you look at the way that Fulham pressed in the second half, there was a, an element of it as well with the kind of almost pressing with six. But it did feel like Liverpool had more of an outball in that they could go long to Darwin, who has the that kind of ability to to win and make it stick in the air. I thought Raul worked incredibly hard last night. Yeah. Um and I thought he was but one he of won the brighter, most of his he won jewels. a lot of he won a lot of the jewels. He just didn't have anyone around him because yeah. Fulham were dropping deeper and deeper to try and get out of this Liverpool press. So it was it was tricky. Uh, obviously and again it, it goes back to Liverpool are a very, very good side, well drilled Missing key players, yes, but with real quality to step into those positions as well. It's not like they're missing a key player and their backup is, I don't know, Rodrigo Muniz. <laughs> they are looking at, you know, bringing in players of real quality and youth products with high ceilings as well. So there's lots of different kind of elements to that. But it just got, as you say, progressively worse in the first half after the goal. And it felt like heads dropped, panic set in a little bit. It was like, okay, the game isn't over, but we concede again it is. Yeah. And I think that was the pervading sense on the pitch and in the stands. And it was just sort of head in hands moments quite a lot of the time. And that's never a great feeling. Yeah, that was the kind of like the sickening part of it was once they went one and up, you're like, okay, well, look, the game plan hasn't massively changed. Fulham still need two goals, obviously now just to take it to extra time. But it was just that sinking feeling of like, if they get one more, then this tie is dead. Like, it's not coming back. Yeah, yeah. I know that like, you can look back to Juventus and that was the scoreline that night, but I was like, in this scenario, it ain't happening. No. Um, they didn't have Chiellini in goal, uh, for one. Not Chiellini. Clemente. Clemente. So close. Um, I thought that second half, Fulham looked better and we had big opportunities. I think I hadn't realised at the time how big an opportunity that was for Andreas Pereira. Yeah, I mean, it is a difficult angle. I will give him that. And look, there isn't much to give Andreas. Um, we'll come on to him and the substitutions, I think, in a little while. But it is an opportunity. Actually, I think that there are a couple where you're like, oh, I'm not even sure. There's one that comes back across goal from Tosin where mm. no one gets on the end of it. There's a second one, obviously, where when he hits the post. There are opportunities that start to float around and and I think that belief starts to grow in the side. But equally, it comes a point where you're running out of time. And so, you know, what do they say? Pressure and heat make diamonds. These are the moments where you're like, right, how do you perform when when it's on, when this is the kind of the spell you have? And actually, I thought Fulham stood up. 
And I think that's something to to be aware of. There were obviously these huge opportunities at both ends. And you look at that kind of exchange where Pereira hits the post and then Liverpool goes straight up the other end oh. and it probably should score. And, and it's like, oh God, this game is now in that period where next goal means so much. And I said at the time, I was like, I think we're going to score. And then I think they're going to score straight away <laughs> and it's really going to hurt me. But that didn't happen. There was this kind of feeling that Fulham were growing into it. And, and so much of it was to do with Harry Wilson because Wilson's introduction felt like the spark club that reignited this Fulham team. And suddenly everyone got second wind. And I think that was what the, the nice bit about it was because Willian looked dead in his feet about 50 minutes in. But yeah. in the 80th minute, he's herring around making challenges on the edge of his own box. Suddenly that the wind that it gave, obviously the goal matters and obviously the, the situation matters. But Wilson's introduction, I think, sparked everybody else into life. It could have come a bit earlier, I thought, Wilson's introduction. Yeah, absolutely. And weirdly, I thought that when Wilson came on, I thought the move was to take Andreas off and either move Bobby in there or actually play Harry in the 10, which is my latest kind of thing I'm stuck on. I can't get over the idea that Wilson in the 10 might allow him to have the freedom that's got the best out of him. And we saw that last night. He was all over the place. He was left, right, through the middle, making those runs. And from the moment he came on, there was that first one that came over the top for him and he just failed to bring the ball down. Mm. They all felt like, you're like, oh, okay, Fulham have a threat in behind all of a sudden that wasn't there before. And it meant that Liverpool had to rethink a lot of the situations that were going on. Obviously, Wilson picks the ball up on the left-hand side for the goal that comes in and he beats a player and tucks it in and Diop scores. But it's that freedom that Wilson seemed to play with because they were just like, well, do what you need to do because no one else has anything about them at the moment. I think that works with him in the 10, especially with the Wobie away. I think that opportunity needs to be given to him at some point, maybe this weekend. Is the, is Harry Wilson not entering the Adama Traore vortex? Not the fact that he doesn't exist. I mean that um, he's just becoming such a... He seems to be performing so well off the bench and then you give him the chance to start and he seems to perform not as well. Yeah, I mean, I look back to the Liverpool game where he did start. Yeah. And he was excellent. So there were obviously moments and there have been games where he has been an excellent impact sub. I mean, the Villa game was such a clear example. He, I mean, he changed that game. I mean, sure, we but he came on at half-time at that game. So yeah. it did feel like there was a more of an opportunity. I think Harry Wilson has done enough in his substitute cameos to suggest that he deserves a start now. Now, if that goes awry and it looks... But if Harry Wilson doesn't start the weekend, I'd be incredibly surprised. Well, I mean, also for the fact that we're going to need any fresh legs that we can get in this, yeah, in this game. But but yeah, it just feels like... I, I think there's an opportunity to play him in the 10. And yeah. I'm intrigued by it. I mean, the goal was was really well taken. I mean, I, I think Connor Bradley, I think we've got to hand it to him, was was excellent filling in over, over two legs. He looks yep. like a real star in the making. Yep. But actually... Wilson exposed him at that, that moment. Yeah, yeah, at that moment, he was brilliant for Bolton. But actually, that goal got scored—not that exact goal, but the one where they cut inside—and it's uh, someone who's changed plans from a winger that tends to be going outside or a fullback that's going round him all game suddenly changes tack and comes inside him. There's no one covering the spaces. Something we've seen before. But yeah, I like Connor Bradley. Um, I, I still, as long as I am on this planet, we won't understand. East Why is there? What's he doing? Easter Diop. What a finish. I'm great, grateful that he's there. I mean, maybe you should get two. If you like cock it in, does it count as like two goals? It was but so good. Yeah, it's 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 really good reaction body movement. Whether it's deliberate or not, it's probably a different question. You just thought, just get something get on something it. Get something on it. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's a really good, really good piece of like manoeuvring the body to actually work it out. But yeah, I agree. No idea what he's doing there. Has he stayed up from the corner? It feels like an inordinately long time. Yeah, there's been a long time. Up. 
from the corner before. But yeah, I'm glad he was there. I feel like, though, it's the momentum afterwards. I, I was shocked to find out later that evening that that goal had come in the 77th minute. I even said it wrong on the quick take last night. I thought it was in the 81st. No. And I was like, it's in the 70s. Did look at the score? I did look at the scoreboard when we scored. There was enough time and I felt like Fulham had a bit of momentum for a couple of minutes. Harry Wilson drew that save out of Kelleher, which really was just more of a Kelleher. Yeah, it was an error. Fumble more than a great But shot equally, we then don't get a shot off for the next four minutes. Yeah. And it's like, we've just seen the keeper spill something. And you know, I love Kevin Kelleher. But he's under pressure. He's made mistakes in the games he's played this season. There is a lot, lot on the line right now for him in terms of you know being able yeah. to get there. You're like pepper him. Now I'm not saying get the ball on the halfway line, Harrison Reed and shoot. Yeah, but the opportunities to to take a strike were there, and they weren't taken a lot of the time. Now I appreciate we're trying to work the ball into the box, make those things happen. Fine, no problem. But there was an element of like, oh, can we just try and expose that a little bit more, considering what we've just seen him do. Yeah, and I think that was it. And I, I had a few, I have a few friends who, unfortunately, reside on the other side of, of SW6, and they text me like, "As soon as you scored, I thought you were going to do it." But as soon as the momentum shifted again, it helped. And look, mark of a brilliant manager, right? Klopp takes the sting out of the situation. He takes the the moment where you're looking at it and going, "Okay, what's happened here?" He's brought a third centre back on. Now a lot of people will be like, "Wow, he brought a third centre back on against Fulham," but it was just the way that the game then was drawn and it was like, okay, cool. The ball was knocked around the back a little bit more. It was just like every time Fulham got the ball, it was put into the corner to make sure that there was either back in your own half or Liverpool just knocked it around between that back five and, and kept the ball a little bit more. It was really, really well managed. Frustrating, yeah. but well managed. And if Fulham had had a major opportunity towards the end where we'd missed, there was a sitter or something, you'd hang on that and go, oh, what if? But we didn't really create all that much. After that Wilson shot... There's nothing. There's nothing to hang on to. And that is a mark of good management. It's also a mark of how little depth Fulham had. And weirdly, we talked about Andreas. I would have pulled him when Wilson came on. When he actually got pulled, he just started to influence the game. It was the moment where you're like, no, no, not now. (laughs) Not now. And I I, honestly, I know that more people, some people have more faith in Rodrigo Muniz than I do, but I'm still not sure what a Rodrigo Muniz does. Yeah, I, I think both of those subs killed the momentum. I think Harrison Reed. I got the Harrison Reed for Kenny one because Kenny looked slightly dead on his feet yeah. and, and also had been on this yellow card for a long time. It had yeah. been a tough game for him, and although he'd done well in parts, but I thought I thought he had a really good game. But there was definitely there was definitely a switch there to be had. I think if they'd brought on Sasha after what he did against Chelsea, yeah, the Hamilton really. then would have gone into uproar. Although I think that in perfect circumstances, that would have been the move that Marco would have made. But it is what it is. And then you kind of look at it and go, well, what's the other move? Now, my disdain for Carlos Vinicius is well documented on this podcast. But actually, if you were going to throw a striker on who likes to throw his arms around a little bit and cause a fuss for the last couple of minutes of this game with no VAR, (laughs) that might have been the move. And I honestly, I don't think I'll say that again for the rest of the season. But for this one game could have been the move. I just, I think what frustrated me watching Rodrigo last night, and I've been an advocate for him. I thought when he played against Brighton, I thought he was fantastic that second half and he came on and I felt like he sauntered about a bit. And and I feel like, look, he's nowhere near 
the well, quality. He's also not a 10, and we didn't really switch formation. It was all very odd. Everyone was just a bit all over the place, which is not great. And I criticise someone like Arteta for doing this quite a lot. It's like, oh, you get to the end of a game, you need a goal. You just throw the forward players on without any sort of strategy or plan. That's exactly what it felt like from the end of this. And even if the move was to put Rodrigo up front and play Raul off him a little bit deeper where he likes to operate, I would have understood it. But there wasn't any sense of that. It was just like lost lambs running around up front. I just felt like, you know, you even saw it in the game that's happened at Anfield where where Nunez came on and just he just ran around like a madman. And I know that Nunez has got 10 times the quality of, 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 of Muniz. But I just was frustrated that Liverpool had that ball so much at the back. It was Kwanzaa to Van Dijk, Van Dijk to Kwanzaa. And I was just asking Rodrigo Muniz to sprint around. Like I wanted him to be a lunatic for 15 minutes. And yeah, just Raul caught... was still sprinting around at this point and he'd done 90 minutes. And, yeah. and Muniz was sort of sauntering around behind him looking like Bambi wandering about. Uh, I, that was what frustrated me. I was like, go on there. And even if you can't do anything on the ball of quality, just like... Make Van Dyke force like the long passes because this this Brazilian guy is just getting in the way. Like yeah. make them think because that last fifteen minutes just just drifted by, and that was the moment we we'd done the hard part. Yeah, got as soon back as the momentum this game, sw- as soon as the momentum swung, it never felt like Fulham were going to create anything of worth. Which is the most frustrating. But then again, the you know the quality of depth isn't there to to be able to change the game off the bench, and and that probably. You know, it's something in itself, right? And yeah. Then you have to look to higher management and squad depth and building to actually address that issue. And that should be addressed. We don't have the capacity, especially with two players off AFCON. And you can't use that as an excuse because you know that when you sign those players, right? This is These are two players who were signed in the summer. So there's no way that anyone can turn around and be like, oh, we didn't know that they were going to be going to AFCON. Yeah, it was know. well documented by the point that... So if you're thinking about this season properly and logistically, which I imagine Fulham aren't because that's not the way that the Fulham higher-ups work... You have to kind of have a, a plan, a contingency plan in place. For that. And they'll look at it and say, oh, well, Adama Traore was injured. Oh, well, have you seen Adama Traore for the last couple of seasons? He's always injured. So you can't use that as an excuse either. And that's where it all starts to fall down a little bit because there needs to be that ability to change the game off the bench if you are going to go and beat a team like Liverpool at this stage of a competition over two legs. Yeah. Yeah, no, Marco... Did the best with the hand he had, but I think ultimately... Yeah, apart from a couple, maybe a couple of substitutions should have been earlier, maybe a different kind of way you play them out. I don't think Marco did loads wrong yesterday. I think that the team looked nervy in the first half and he would have had to address that. And he spoke about it in the post-match press conference. He said, look, we get to these moments, we have to learn from them. And we learn from what happened at Old Trafford last year. We'll learn from this experience as well. And that's fine. You know, learning muscle memory about how to deal with these. And we talk about those nerves. Okay, maybe the next time some of these players and I don't know when that will be and maybe some of these players will have moved on maybe all of these players will have moved on mm. but if he's trying to build something short term well medium term where Fulham are going to be in this stage of A Cup competition in the next two three years again that muscle memory will remain and that's key I think also it ultimately didn't actually massively play into Fulham's strengths the fact that it had to be done over two legs it was, it was, a, it was always a tough ask yeah over one leg, it's a cut match. Who knows what happens? But over two legs, it becomes a little bit more about who's the better team. It's it's it was all we always knew that this was the exact tie out of the three that was going to be the hardest. That was going to be the hardest by a mile. Yeah, 
you know, I know obviously Middlesbrough would have been Middlesbrough, but I, I, I think, you know, you, we've seen us play Chelsea. They are a brilliant side, Liverpool. And in a one-off match, especially with the, um, the players they were missing, I think Fulham could have. Could have, would have, should have. Yeah, but, I mean, it's interesting. We'll never actually. know. We will never know because I was watching the Copa del Rey when I got home afterwards and looking back at what happened last night. And actually about five years ago, I think it was 2019-20, the Spanish Federation, RFEF, um, basically were like, we're ditching two-legged semifinals, quarterfinals in the Copa. Since then, the big two of, I think, one, two of five rather than seven of the eight beforehand. Mm. There's been 14 different teams in the semifinals. And I think that there is something to be said. And I know the Carabao do it up to this point. But yeah, the last night was the last ever second leg. So we're looking at it and going, okay, does that open the field up a little bit more for the non-big guns? Probably. So it's an interesting one to just think about. And that Real Madrid and Barcelona are both out of this season's Copa del Rey. Yeah. It allows for a final four that, well, we don't know what are the semifinals, but we're talking about Real Sociedad, Athletic Club, um, and Mallorca. Mallorca, right? And it's probably going to be Atleti that join them. But... You're looking at it and going, okay, cool. Like that's that's an exciting, different. Well, that's partially what's happened with the penalties at 90 minutes this season, as well as being a leveler, because yeah. it's like when we knocked we knocked out Spurs, and we might not have that got that had to go to extra time or a replay, replay yeah. or anything like that. We probably wouldn't have beaten Spurs, but that that's and I think the Carabao can. Look, I mean, I think the Carabao seems to be the competition that's the most eager to adapt, revolutionize, and, yeah, I agree, and stay relevant, and and it's been good up until this point. And now that we've experienced cup football over two legs, I'm not, cr- I mean, apart from the fact that it made for a great occasion, it meant that there was definitely a game at the cottage. Okay, gotcha. yeah, that is it made true. for a great occasion. I'm almost glad that we experienced it, but if we had to do it again, I'd rather just wham, bam, one leg, see what happens, create a bit of chaos. It wasn't actually the most enjoyable two legs to watch as a fan, not no. just because it was so nervy at the same time, but we had our moments. We had <laughs> the William goal at Anfield was oh. incredible. And obviously last night, the celebrations in the aisles as I was, I wasn't in my normal, normal seat because I missed the deadline because I'm an idiot. Um, and I, I genuinely challenge anybody at Craven Cottage to find a worse view than what I had last night. My dad was like, I'm not paying you for that ticket. <laughs> he was like, absolutely no chance. We were directly behind the pillar in front of the stairs in H5. 109 and 108, GG, H5, Hammersmith End. The two worst seats in the stadium. Like, and also you're right next to the stewards. So obviously every time you like edge out to the aisle, <laughs> try and see that they're like, can you sit back in there, yeah, please? Yeah, get back in. I was like, this is it. This is the worst seat ever. Oh man. Yeah. But look, it was a, it was a special night, but ultimately um, fell a little bit short. There was one question that was asked to me in the pub afterwards by uh, Drew Heatley's brother, Joe. Great guy, Joe. And he said, like, you've got kind of like a red pill and a blue pill. And the red pill is that um, Mo Salah, AFCON basically wouldn't have been happening. They'd have had Salah, but we'd have had Bassi and Awobi, or blue pill was as it was. And you get to do it all again. You might, and also you could do it is again. It just you could do the AFCON players. It's not like suddenly Trent and Robertson are back fit. No, just, just AFCON. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you take it. Because I think that the drop-off between Mo Salah and someone like Diogo Jota or Luis Diaz is... Yes, I think same. Not as... not as Obviously, Mo Salah is exceptional. I'm not trying to take away from that. But I think with a little bit more depth and the ability... It's not just those players in the starting eleven. It it means that if Awobi's in there, 
you know, suddenly you have maybe a Tom Kearney to bring off the bench and Andreas to come off the bench rather than start the entire game and try and prove his worth. Now, I know Andreas hasn't been great off the bench, but take the take the point. Yeah. The depth and ability that would have given Fulham, I think, outweighs the damage on top of what Liverpool already had that Salah would have brought to the table. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break there. Afterwards, we'll get into some emails and do a little bit of a preview of Newcastle on Saturday. The Thursday Club on Fulhamish is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport pubs are showing every televised Fulham fixture during the course of the 23-24 season. And with our FA Cup fourth round match against Newcastle at Craven Cottage live on ITV4 from 7pm, if you're not heading down to SW6, head to your local Green King Sport pub instead and they'll be showing the match there. They've got a great range of drinks, including a fantastic range of non-alcoholic drinks if you're just reaching the latter stages of dry January. Also, from kickoff until full time, you can get 10% off all drinks by downloading the Green King Sports app. Get it on your phone and get 10% off that round halfway through the match. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack Collins. Uh, we've been chewing the fat over um, last night. A few just emails and uh, tweets that have come into me that I thought I'd uh, read out, mostly uh, related to last night before we get on to um, Newcastle. I uh, got this one from Weekly Geekly. said, reading Fulham Twitter last night and this morning, anyone would think we lost a Gillingham away in the first round. Instead, we are a team who were backed for relegation last year, now going toe-to-toe in a semi-final against one of the world's best. Brilliant. Brilliant being at the game yesterday, immense from the crowd and absolute pride in supporting a wonderful team who gave their all up the Fulham. Um, yeah, there did seem, and obviously I think me and you have come on here and been fairly positive. I think we always are probably on that kind of side. Yeah, of the, I'm, quite, side of the, I'm quite glass half full, unless of course the glass is Guinness, in which case it's always empty. <laughs> but there were people that were seemingly angry and you know I I saw Don Betts tweets that you know like you know first half we bottled it and all of this and you know Don, everyone's entitled to their opinion I'm not here saying any opinions wrong but I don't know I, I feel like I'm tr- maybe, maybe I am just too optimistic but I, I also did think that some reactions personally were quite harsh given the quality of the opposition yeah I mean this is it and you know we talked about those two things being true at the same time Fulham were poor in the first half and Ideally, you want to see more from a side who are trying to get to a cup final for the first time since the 70s in domestic football. So obviously there is an element of frustration around that. And I can understand it because at halftime I was like, this has been so bad. And yet you're still only one goal behind and it's a bit of a jammy deflection. So it's sort of trying to find the balance between those two things. Defensively, I thought we got a lot right yesterday. And I thought Tosin and Diop together in a purely defensive sense, were exceptional. It frustrated me incredibly that neither of them seemed to be able to string a 15-yard pass together. And, you know, there must have been, I think I was speaking to to Matty Benson at halftime, he was like, I don't think we've strung three-point passes together for the entire half. And I was like, yeah, no, you're not wrong. It's it's been quite poor in that regard. Equally, you stick in the tie and hope for the best and it doesn't get away from you. And Fulham actually do have that opportunity to, to push it through in the last minute. So it's about finding that balance. I can absolutely understand why people were frustrated, especially with that first half performance, which didn't feel like it had the the desire and and kind of gumption, I suppose, given how lively the crowd was. It felt like you were like, all right, get into them straight away. And that didn't really happen. But on the other hand, Liverpool are exceptional. Yeah. So there's there's kind of 
two sides of the same coin of that in, in that regard. There were a few moments last night where I was like, you know, and I talked about, I didn't think that Rodrigo Moon is like, I would have just, I would have literally made him sprint for, for the entire game. There was a moment I thought, I remember Andreas Pereira was at the Hammersmith end and he kind of gave up a, a ball that was going out for a goal kick. And I was a bit like, oh, come on, just have a bit of Boa Mortes about you. And yeah, that like, was, I remember exactly what you were talking and about. I was, it's I, like, he just let Joe Gomez shield it out. And I was like, I don't mind you not getting the ball because you weren't favourite to get there, but make an attempt. Yeah, because who knows? Um, and, and also, I mean, the crowd went mad when he did that misplaced pass. Yeah, I mean... That was that was that's, poor. That's, 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 I don't I, mind it being poor. I yeah. don't mind it when I, I mind it when there's a lack of effort. That, yeah. They're two different things. That was just a bad pass, and it felt like Andreas was getting a lot of it. When it, my dad said it to me, he's like, "He tries so many flicks," and I was like, "Yes, he does." But equally, when they come off, they're the kind of things that break open a defense like this. Yeah, and so you have to have that bit of guile about you, and you have to, you know, when people talk about oh these passes that make. 100% of their pass completion rate. And I'm like, yeah, but it's because they don't do anything with the ball. And you actually want, especially with your you know, attacking players who are supposed to be the fulcrum of it, them to try riskier passes because they open games up. Now, that pass in particular was really poor because he felt like, one, he had the safe option on his right-hand side from his right back, and two, Bobby had started that run, and if he was going to do it, he'd just go earlier. Yeah. So there's, there's a sense of that in particular being a bad effort. But I don't mind that attempt at trying something clever from a player in Andreas's position because of how if it goes off and it comes off, it, it has the capacity to reopen the game up. Well, it's all it, it's it's the passing out the back argument, isn't it? That it's it's passing out the back and actually sometimes taking risks that give teams false hope to press and press and press and before you know it Fulham have got enough quality to find the out ball to a Kearney or Polinia and before, before you know it an attack started and it, it, the, the same logic happens around the pitch right you have to some t- you know it's very easy to get annoyed at someone at a back heel that goes wrong but also there's 95% of back heels from all these players go right every single time and find a, find a player it's it's sometimes it's, it's frustrating when you're there in the crowd. And also we have this beautiful vision, especially when, apart from you didn't obviously. Uh, I have not yesterday. Too. Uh, you have this beautiful view of kind of bird's eye view of the ground. It's obviously a pitch level, isn't it? It's not quite as easy. Uh, this one from Mike Wall, I liked, said, uh, hello, Fulhamish. Um, wanted to get your thoughts on the pairing of Diop and Tossim uh, in the cup semi-final. It felt to me as we tried to play out the back through the Liverpool press, we were repeatedly trying to play it out on the left side and turning it over. Was that the plan from Marco to play out that way? Or were Liverpool focusing on shutting our right side down so we had to play out the left with Diop on his weaker foot? I was really hoping to see Ream start the second half as I thought he would help us play through their press more despite the fact I do think Diop is a better defender. It certainly wasn't all Diop's fault as Jedi had some loose touches as well, but that really seemed to hinder us did you see the same any sense for whether that was a Marco plan or a Liverpool plan that caused us to play that way thanks for your thoughts Mike in Denver Colorado probably a bit of both um, I think Liverpool would have looked to make the op play out on his weaker foot because that's what you tend to do when you're closing down passing options in the middle of the pitch you tend to shift the player so that their body is, is facing the wrong way to be able to find the passes equally Fulham build everything down the left mm. so I'm, I'm not I wouldn't be surprised if it's a bit of, okay, ideally what Fulham want is Diop passing out to the left on his right foot. And actually what we ended up with was Diop passing out to the left on his left foot because Liverpool were trying to force that force that kind of opening of the body out. I, I, as I said, I thought defensively they were rock solid. I thought that going forward and trying to pass out, 
they left a fair bit to be desired and on both sides, to be honest. There, there was a lot of pressure on that Tosin pass out of the of the back and he did try the diagonal a few times in the first half and didn't really come off. So he started trying to play the shorter passes, but there was a lot of giving the ball away in that area. Equally, that midfield is so mobile that they're playing against, especially Gravenberg, who just eats up ground, mm. that he's able to just pick off and screen passes, especially when there's not all that much movement off Raul and Fulham are trying to find ways to get the fullbacks to overlap. Yeah. So a bit of all of these things. I was glad in some ways that we didn't see Tim Ream last night because I don't think that that was the game to chuck him back into. Well, no. I think the weekend is the game to to push Tim Ream back into the side and allow him some some time to get him up to speed. That was not the moment. No. And whilst I agree with Mike in that his passing out of the back is is better and his ability to maraud is probably slightly higher than to earn than Diop's, I think we probably would have conceded another one with the way that Liverpool were attacking, with the directness of how Darwin was playing. Yeah. yeah I think we would have struggled to deal with that with a Tim Ream coming back from injury. I think the thing is, is that Fulham were quite easy to read. You knew that... The beautiful, I think, about Bassey is his ability to... He can beat a man and he can run and he's so strong and he's hard to get the ball off even if you do get near yeah, to get him. Near him yeah. And therefore, Fulham have options. Either you've got Tossin's passing, which is normally immense, or you've got Bassey and his passing's not too bad as long as it's on his left foot. Yeah, but also, and he also when he starts to maraud, it opens space up because then they knock the ball back and Tosin suddenly has 10 yards that yes. he didn't have yesterday to be able to pick the diagonals he's trying to play. Yeah. And he didn't have that space to pick his passes yesterday. Yeah, that is because Liverpool knew exactly how they could, how they could stop us playing out. Uh, finally, this one, we kind of touched on it, but I thought I'd read it out. Clayton Bricklemeyer, I haven't broken it down or anything, but my gut says that Harry has played much better coming off the bench. Well, I agree with you, Clayton, because I said this earlier, but um, I, I think you, I mean, you raise a good point. That there have been games this year where, where Harry's done well starting as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think consistency has been a brilliant facet of Harry Wilson's game, right? Since yeah. the championship, he has blown a bit hot and cold. When he's, when he's been in the Premier League in a Fulham shirt. And there have been some incredible performances. There have been some incredible performances off the bench. There's been good performances from the start. There have been bad performances from the start. And there have been bad performances off the bench. So uh, the inconsistency of his game is probably why Harry Wilson hasn't actually moved or made that step up to a to a top club, right? And I was speaking about this to some of the Liverpool channels. They were like, well, where is Harry Wilson at the right level? And I was like, yes. Because he's inconsistent. Yeah. Because there are moments where you're like, Harry Wilson is unplayable. Like that moment yesterday where he creates the goal. Because his vision and ability to get past a player and open the game out is almost second to none when he's on form. Mm. But that is something that we haven't seen all that much of in terms of on a consistent basis. So, yes, I can take your point. But I, I just think that this is a wider issue around Harry Wilson, which is just inconsistency of performances. Equally, if he was consistently putting in brilliant performances, would he be playing for Fulham? I don't well, know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. There's, always, there's always that argument, isn't there, with any uh, any player that starts doing well. Um, let's briefly look ahead to Newcastle on on Saturday. And, and I think, Jack, the elephant in the room, it hasn't been discussed on the podcast yet, but obviously is the atmosphere. It's going to be bloody weird, especially with the kind of <laughs> place next to what was one of the best atmospheres at the cottage that I can remember, certainly pre-match um, in, well, probably since Derby um, in, in in the playoffs to, to what's going to be in front of the players on Saturday. And there's no one to blame here, but the club who have completely misread the room again. But it feels, this feels like the most catastrophic that I've ever 
seen it. I mean, I haven't checked the ticket sales today as on Thursday. I assume it's not progressed much since since Wednesday, but I mean, it's going to be, I, I think there genuinely might be more Newcastle fans in the stadium than Fulham fans. Yeah, I think they're and they're, and they're not bringing that many. No, well, they're not. But equally, you know, we're already seeing things popping up on social media of Newcastle fans selling tickets in the home end to other Newcastle fans. Yeah. Which is unsurprising. This is a weird one, right? Because I, I think it is important to note that the pricing of this game at 40 quid on its own, out of context, if you take that away, people will probably be like, that's not that bad. It's not great, mm. but it's not dreadful and not the United prices that we've seen earlier in the season, et cetera, et cetera, right? So it is important to note that. I think what's missing from that context is that one season ticket holders weren't given the opportunity to prioritize and keep their seats which is bizarre yeah although that one like i saw the reasoning on the fst website where the ticket office had said look we've got three games in six days we're under pressure that would have meant an even shorter time for us to turn around the tickets i but the thing is with the club i almost i'm like okay tell us that explain say like as in the draw for the fa cup was weeks ago yeah like, as but in, I, it's I not get that it. hard to turn this around i'm sorry any ticketing system worth its salt and this isn't a dig at the club staff by the way the ticket staff because i think they do a phenomenal job under difficult circumstances and i think that sometimes this gets construed as like a criticism of the people who are giving out the tickets who are dealing with this but the system should be able to facilitate for uh, uh, someone to be able to have first priority on their own seat. Well, As in say, also, like, it takes on to a wider point. Why did the club not have a system that allows you to book in cup games, etc., onto your season well, ticket? Like, there's so many facets of this that are a major problem. And, like, I'm, I'm sure the club will be like, well, actually, that's very difficult. It isn't that difficult. We were doing it 10 years ago. Yeah, but also, it's done at tons of other clubs. I agree with you on that point. I agree that, like, the whole system should be better. But I kind of understand, like, well, in the scenario, if the ticket officer are like, look, this is the hand we're dealt with. We've got this crap system and, like, we literally cannot get, like, three games worth in six days. So, like, <laughs> like what, what is this? We're a Premier League club. Like, we, look, I, well, you should have seen, I mean, you should have seen the scenes outside. I don't know how, what, what time I you I did. Got. I arrived 25 minutes before the game yesterday, which is early for me. I, I tend to not do that. Yeah. And I, were, I got into my seat one minute before kickoff. So I, I, we can talk about that. We can talk about all of the issues that surrounded that. But it's just so second rate. And it, that continues to be, everything continues to be given a second rate treatment. And it has got to a point now where like, I'm given nothing but no kind of option but to conclude that the club are now at a point where they're like, we actively do not want people who are going to come here week in, week out and complain. Because actually, if people come in on a one time off basis, they come in and they go, oh, okay, this is just how it is. And they leave again and they have no intention of coming back. They're probably less likely to kick up a fuss. I'm left with that being the only conclusion that the club have got to, that that's what they want. They don't want a hardcore or even not, you know, hardcore is probably a, a term that people will apply to different things. They don't want a localised and loyal fan base. They want this to become a tourist attraction. That's the only conclusion I can draw. I mean, the, yeah, I, I think you were about to go on to it. The context of, of this game and what's like, I think what I feel like maybe people... I assume they do realise this, but teams like Liverpool can fill their stadium. If like the whole of Anfield for a league game said, we're not going to come to the cup game. Yeah. There is another 
stadium load of people ready, yeah, more, yeah. ready to come in. And that could probably repeat itself five times. At Fulham, there isn't another stadium full of fans that can replace the fans that are there week in, week out. We have about probably 35,000 people that regularly go to, to matches. So you're asking basically the same people like us who have gone to all the league games this season. We've already shelled out for that. There's been a lot of cup games. Yeah, we've just and come back from Liverpool. We've just come a lot. Uh, that, and look, that's our choice. Yeah, but of course. It's worth putting in but, it, but everyone forked out 40 quid for the match last night. Three days later, you're asking people to pay, in some cases, more money for a much less important match, much less important match. And then there's a game three, and also there's the game, another game three days later, and it's on ITV. Yeah. ITV4. Yeah. Like, weird, people weird. are, and, and I, what I actually am almost weirdly proud of, although it's not been organised, I, I actually think what has happened here, you know, a lot of people wanted a collective boycott, and I, and I think it could have been good, had, had, had someone mobilised that, that would have been fantastic. But this is just passiveness of thousands of people just going like, um, you're taking a piss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. can't, yeah. can't, don't want to do that. Don't want to spend forty pounds. Seven pm kickoff on a Saturday. Just forked out forty pounds. It's it's the end of January. Like, how is no one like looking at this and going like, oh, I think, think if that were me and I, you know, forty pounds, quite, quite a lot. Like, I just people are blind to it. That's that's my only conclusion. Is they're so bogged down in spreadsheets and targets that they are just never going like, are people actually going to pay this? Yeah. I mean, uh, th- there is, you know, allegations and, and, and things that can be they're thrown around, but ultimately when you have, you know, a, a top of the tree here that is fundamentally so wealthy that it's incredibly out of touch with what day to day people are living and what they can afford to spend on following something that they love then these are the issues that you, you come up against, right? And, and, and it's as simple as that in, in so many ways. Yeah. 40 quid is 40 quid. Like, it's, it's not just about that. And obviously we can all afford 40 quid because we all did last night. We all can. But we, you know, it's still an amount of money that you do weigh up. And yeah, I've decided not to go. And partially, yeah, that's so is, partially that is my principle that's not going. I, if, if I was, if I had to, yeah, of course I could. If it was a, Cup semi, another cup semi final suddenly on on Saturday. Would I stump it up? Probably yes. And I did for the Leeds game last year because I felt like that was a big game and I wanted to go. Maybe against my better judgment, but I decided to go. And this one, I've just been like, yeah. no, clear, yeah. fat, no. I sat out of the Leeds game last year. I'm sitting out of this one instead. And you know, it's one of those kind of mental cases where you're like, oh, what could you do instead for this? For the money that it would cost to, you know, not just the game, but you know, yeah. a couple of drinks here and there, or however you like to spend your game. People probably aren't just spending the 40 quid unless you're cycling in, going into the game, sitting in your seat and cycling back. Yeah, you then, never just spend 40 pounds. Then the chances are you're spending more than that. And and seeing what you can get elsewhere in in you know, you can you can get get to Europe, get to a European game and fly back on the same day for almost the same price. That's wild, as and far I, as I'm concerned. And actually, I guess because this game, we've barely talked about the match, we probably should in a second. I was so overshadowed by the Carabao Cup. I was like, whatever, it's an FA Cup. I'm so focused on the Carabao. Now we're out the Carabao. Yeah. I came out of there thinking, I want a bit of this again. I want a bit of what we've just experienced. I, w- I want to do it again. And I think we can. I think this Newcastle team is is beatable at home. 
Um, it's going to be difficult with much less preparation time than, than they've had, but I fancy a bit of it again. You get through this round, seven guaranteed seven out of 16 teams in the fifth round are championship or below because of the way the draws worked out. So actually you get through this pretty tricky tie and the cup has opened up for us and it has been totally undermined. And my poor old Marco, and I, the whole, this whole thing is, is such a, a balance for me because I'm like, I'm so angry at the club but the people that are suffering, well, suffering, the 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 team is going to suffer because it's yeah. going to be it's going to be flat in there on Saturday, and and if we go out, the fact that there'll have been a crap atmosphere is a factor, and and Marco has been undermined by the club, and and poor Marco won't really be able to say. It. I imagine he might be asked it in a presser tomorrow by a journalist or two, and he'll come up with a kind of diplomatic. Oh, you know, we know the fans are really important. We want them to be there, but we understand. He'll give something along those yeah, lines because he can't say much else. I said oh, it about. That's not his job, right? Yeah, like, no, no, no. But he 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 will be just annoyed because he'd be like, oh, "Why, why are we doing this? Like, why, why can't why can't we fill this game?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then look, it's it's a really weird one in that the tickets clearly like lots of them are there, and as a result, the club will give out loads of tickets to you know local local youngsters, etc. As a as a response because the tickets will be there. On itself, I think that's a great thing. Like, yeah. It shouldn't be that because Fulham fans are staying away that they're now going to farm these tickets out. So, you know, these tickets should be available for these people and for youngsters in the local area at, if not free, cut price, very cut price rates because that draws an audience in who, you know, are not captive. Obviously, we live in London, there's loads of football clubs, mm. but are local and who are likely to want to come back. That's amazing. That should be encouraged at all costs. It shouldn't be encouraged at the cost of excluding the fans who are already there. Yeah. This should be something that the club are looking to bring in anyway, you know, as a separate point. And and that in itself frustrates me. I just think that so much of this is is wrong. And and yeah, it's just another another element of this season bringing issues off the pitch that are incredibly at odds with how, you know, brilliant and things have been on the pitch, especially in the Cubs. You know where we've we've actually enjoyed some real success, and Marco's done incredibly well with the hands dealt to him. He deserves better than this, and instead he's getting you know a, a more of the same, and, and that's frustrating. He'll be frustrated with you know the fact that he's had players that he would have wanted to come in and and not been added to this squad, uh, but he'll also be frustrated with this kind of situation that you know that he can't doesn't allow fans to get behind the side after you know such a brave effort in the Carabao Cup. Yeah, no. I mean, uh, and then look, I, I also like want to say on here: if you're going to the game, then like absolutely crack on. Yeah, like, I'm not. Yeah, like, this isn't. This is. There's. There's no criticism attached to that. Like, if you if you go, then then fair enough. I I'm not going because I don't think it's the. You know, I think that's the right thing to do. But that's a personal decision. That's not yeah. anything to do with me telling and you what to do. And I I do think that this whole, you know, just everyone making a subjective choice is that is, is the most powerful thing that we could have organized. Like I, it remains to be seen what the final crowd is. I remember for Leeds, it actually ended up not looking as empty as it could have possibly because they shifted so many tickets out for free in the end. And, and Leeds took a, took a lot of fans, but it was still like weirdly empty for a fifth round match. There were huge gaping holes in the, in the crowd um, that night. Let's quickly discuss the football. Um, Newcastle are on a a stinker of a run, but also have played some quite difficult matches. Really hard team to work out yeah. right now. 
Yeah, I mean, look, this is it. The, the other thing to work, and maybe the first thing to bear in mind right now, is that this is it for Newcastle's season. Yeah. They're out of the Champions League, obviously, and, and dropped out of Europe altogether. They're too far back in the Premier League, I think, to challenge for a Champions League place again. They might have a shot at challenging for a European spot, but really, yeah. their only chance of seeing success in this campaign is a very good FA Cup run. And I think that this is going to be all systems go for Liverpool, for Newcastle, um, as far as I'm concerned. So they are a weird side. They are on a weird run. The injury crisis has abated a little bit, but it's still pretty bad. And yet, I feel like this is now Newcastle's kind of, it's the Holy Grail quest, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, this is the last thing available to them this season to turn it from a disappointment after last year. And, and look, that should be caveated with the context that they were ahead of schedule yeah. last year and, and and have gone almost too fast for their own good. And they've been badly impacted by injuries. But equally, I think people will look at it and be like, well, that's, that's not moving forward on what we achieved last year. So this is it. This is, the, this is their only objective. I mean, I suppose you could throw the same at Fulham. And actually, I said it to you yesterday. I think the hardest part of last night for me was, I know I'm not going to be there at the weekend. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think that this Newcastle side are going to throw the kitchen sink at us. And I don't know how we're going to respond after far fewer you know, days of rest. But if we were to go out of here, what's left in this season that you're like, I'm, my heart is going to be thumping for? Yes, obviously Fulham need to win the games we need to win to stay in the Premier League. I think we will do that. Mm. It means that the only game that I'm there like, oh my God, absolutely cannot miss until the end of the season is Brentford away. That's it. Right? <laughs> that's, that's all that's left. For this season in terms of bragging yeah, rights, staying up, potentially an FA Cup run if we can win this, and, and maybe that does reignite the season if we can win this game at the weekend. And Brentford away, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would caveat that, that I, I really think that like there are some big Premier League games coming up and I think there'll be plenty to to fight for. Yeah, that's for, not me for... saying I'm not going to go to any of those <laughs> no, games. No, I get It's that. just saying like, you know, if something comes up on, you know, one of these things and you're like, oh, okay, I have to work that day or whatever, what days am I going to be like, absolutely no chance? Yeah. I remember thinking that when we went out after United, I remember like, what's there left to, to live for? Um, <laughs> but like, ultimately, like, league games came around. So, and there was, there was a small period of, I remember, I think Bournemouth was the next game after that. I was like, I've, I've, I haven't got much appetite for this today. But then like, we went and beat Everton at Goodison and beat Leeds and it was all quite fun. But yeah, it's going to be that kind. But we, I, I do think, I don't think we're at that point whereas last season where I was like, we are comfortable. I think we're... I think there's, no, we need to get there first, Jeremy. I think there's games to win before I feel like we can maybe get to that. Oh, the season's over. But yeah, I mean, I look at this Newcastle side, I still see plenty of, of quality all over, but it's it's weird how some players who have been performing at such a high level as well, I mean, Kieran Tripp is the obvious example, but there's others in there as well, just seem to have dropped down a, a level from from where they were. Yeah, I wonder where Tripp's head's going to be at as well because obviously the bid from Bayern Munich turned down this week. Yeah. Uh, there's talk of them coming back in for, for a second bypass. Um, we'll see what that, what that looks like. You know, there was talk that he kind of was like, yeah, if, if the club accept that offer, I'd be interested in going. That would be cool. Playing for Bayern Munich, obviously he's had experience on the continent already. So, yeah. I mean, where, where his head's at, how deep this midfield looks given the the injuries and, and and bits around them i don't quite know but equally as you say there's still a lot of quality here um there's talk of Callum wilson being off 
and talk of interest from both Chelsea and Manchester United, which seems wild, but actually I think would be quite smart from both of them short yeah. term. It just all feels a little bit up in the air. Almiron might be off to Saudi Arabia. We've seen seen that link. I don't know what that means. If it means that Minte comes back from his loan at Feyenoord and is kind of fast-tracked into the first team earlier, you know, whatever that looks like, just feels like plenty of upheaval in Newcastle yeah. right now. And maybe there's something that Fulham can dial into there. Yeah, um, from a Fulham team perspective, um, I guess it's, it's, it's about, we've had three days rest. It's probably using the fringes of the team as best as possible. I wonder if it's a Marek Rodak job, um, just in terms of like giving fresh legs. We've got a game on Tuesday as well against Everton to, to think about. So you would imagine... That's actually maybe the... You know, what's actually more important here? Is the league game more important than the FA Cup? I don't know. I, I don't, don't, I'm not saying one is. I'm, I'm not sure what the answer is. I think is. the league game is more important. I think it probably is as well because Everton feel like a beatable opponent. And like ultimately, like at this, you're still at a stage of the FA Cup where like is a long we're way. Only six, we're only six points clear of the relegation. Zone. Yeah, we're not yeah. that clear of relegation. The, the, uh, we, we, There's a lot of bodies in there, but we're points wise. We're... Yeah, I, I think if you're being pragmatic, you can be, you, my heart does say the FA Cup, my head definitely says it's it's Everton in the league um and and you mentioned someone like Tim Ream I, I, it feels yeah. like a perfect opportunity to to just not go full Luke de Fougerol although, although I actually I, think or, he might get looking although I'd, although I'd love it because I think he's a he's a talent but I think it's going to be maybe uh and I, I think it's going to be players that were on the bench on on Wednesday yeah, yeah. it would have been a Fode Balotore game wouldn't it yes but, but unfortunately he's not available so I guess that means Robinson stays in the, in the team um, I wouldn't be surprised if both Harrison Reed and Sasha start in midfield, maybe yeah. alongside Polina. Yeah. Um, but again, we don't we don't know hugely what that looks like in the ten. I think Willian probably gets a rest. I think Wilson starts. I think he might start Mooners. See, that's quite that's suddenly feeling like quite weak. But then again, Mooners started in the uh, in the Carabao Cup against Spurs in the second round. So I just think there's a lot of. A lot of running and Raul worked his socks off for 90 minutes. Got to give him that kind of credit. So yeah. I think Muniz might start. I mean, Tete seems obvious. Tete comes in, I think. Yeah, I think I think we're talking five or six changes. I think Tete comes in. I think Reem comes in. I think Sasha and Harrison come in in the midfield. I'm going to say that Wilson comes in for a start yeah. and Muniz comes in for a start. I mean, it was a strong lineup that we played against... Um, Rotherham in the in the in the round, and that was only a few days before the the first leg. I mean, if you look at that team that night, it was Rodak and goal. Um, Castagna played on the left, and it was Diop, Tosin, Tete, Lukic, Reed, Pereira, Decadova, Reed played on the left. Wilson played on the right, and Moon is played up top. Yeah, uh, that that feels about right. But yeah. with Tim Ream in because he was injured for that game, wasn't he? Yeah, so, so Tim Ream in there for Diop, and I think that's just starting eleven. I think he actually absolutely spot on. Castagna came off. In this game, Robinson didn't. I think he starts to stand here at left back. There we go. That's the cup team. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening today. Um, you know, it's been a, it's been a historic week for Fulham. It's not ended how we want. Um, but you know, I, th- I think there are some some positives to take out of. Uh, I mean, such massive positives if we're trying to look overall at this this entire cup run has been been so memorable. Even from the from the very first round that we had against Spurs where where we where we won that game on penalties yeah, it's, it's been, been, and it's, it's been not great. been an easy it's not been an easy cup run 
You no. know, you, you, I think Norwich was maybe the only game that was a little bit of a... And even then, they were on a cooking little run in the championship and there was a lot of optimism that felt... Yeah. We spoke about it being a banana skin, right? We, yes, obviously you expect to beat yeah. Norwich. But as a like, kind of punchy side from the division blow, if you're not on your game in those kind of games... You can get you you know you can get punished. So then, actually, even that's not a, not an easy fixture. We haven't had anyone no, who you're like. That's I mean, Ipswich away. A partic- I mean, they actually rested a lot more than I think we thought they were going to yeah. that night. Um, and and obviously, uh, the the experience of Goodison will will live long in the memory for anyone that was there. Yeah. And and also, you know, the 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 game at Anfield. It's been it's been a hell of a run. We've had a, we've given it a good go. It's been good, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun and. Um, I will be eternally sad that I am not able to uh, have my prediction immortalised forever. Alas, alas, you would have been insufferable. There is some positivity that's uh, <laughs> has come out of this one. Peter Rutzer there last night was like, oh, thank God. He celebrated that Diaz goal like nobody's business. <laughs> Just so he doesn't have to listen to me drone on Absolutely. about for my hot take forever and ever and ever. Um, you've, you've still got a long way to go before your Robinson uh, 10, 10, assists. 10 assists in all comps we're yeah. okay he's about three, he's on about three yeah. you, never, you never know uh, what would you like to go for as the pod name I am going to go for Benjamin AJDJ's Diaz Diop the end very good very good alright well thank you very much for listening today Fulhamish will be back on the weekend we'll be uh, we'll be reflecting on the Newcastle game uh, and everything that happens and previewing Everton uh, Jack have a lovely weekend yeah thank you very much I'm um, looking forward to it uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that game if, in, if I'm not in the stands yeah and uh, yeah whatever you're doing if you're going enjoy if you're watching on the telly uh, enjoy as well a sad night for Fulham but still some positives to take you whites you whites Thanks.